Welcome to the Ozone. Hello and welcome to the Ozone. I'm your host, Jeff Hazard, Assistant Director of Athletics and Sports Information Director here at SUNY Oneonta. And today I have the pleasure of welcoming to the show Hall of Fame baseball player Rick Yandoli. Welcome to the show, Rick. Well, I'm doing okay. How about you? Doing well. Thanks for asking. How's the weather up on Oneonta today? Uh, you know, it's a little misty. Little, it would be baseball weather, you know, because you... <laughs> great day for the doubleheader. Um, so I'd like to uh, start our conversation about how you determined that Oneonta was going to be the place for you coming out of high school, uh, you know, to come here and, and call it home. So Sure, sure. <clears throat> Excuse me, Jeff. So um, in 1973, I was 17 years old. I was um, raised in Queens. Uh, in Astoria, Jackson Heights. So I was graduating high school. I went to Bryant High School in Astoria and I played baseball there as well as football. And um, I had some options on the baseball and football side, but I really wasn't totally comfortable with it yet. <clears throat> I was trying to look under every rock, you know, leave no stone unturned before I was able to, you know, just feel good about where I would land. So um, kind of at the last minute, maybe uh, April of 73 towards my senior year in high school, Glenn Siegel, who was a really good friend of mine in high school, yeah. uh, who uh, I played baseball with. He's a great left-hand pitcher. Yeah. I also uh, played baseball with him in uh, Little League as well, so I knew him a long time. I knew he had gone up to Oneonta <clears throat> to play baseball. I knew it was a great baseball program. And uh, he had reached out to me, and his dad had actually reached out to me. His dad used to come to all the games uh, when we played from Little League going forward to high school. And uh, he had told me, Glenn and his dad had told me that, uh, you know, Oneonta continues to be a great program. Though it's Division Three, they play quite a few games in the fall and the spring. Also play uh, quite a few Division One teams, a great coach. And uh, one of the most important pieces was that the catcher for Oneonta State at the time, Willie Condon, who was an outstanding catcher and Hall of Fame inductee, uh, was going into his senior year in September 73. So Coach Axtell uh, was hoping, hoping to secure a catcher, you know, who could carry the load. So um, I weighed it, I assessed it, and I thought it would be the way to go. So I, uh, I signed on without even going up to school. And uh, Coach had written me a beautiful letter in June, you know, happy about my decision. And then I received the coach's, um, uh, you know, the legendary letter that you would receive in August or maybe late July to um, uh, indicate that, uh, you know, we're getting ourselves ready for the fall season. <laughs> and uh, what I would um, like all of you gentlemen and expect all you gentlemen to be doing now as you're getting yourself ready on the uh, physically fit side. And uh, here's a way um, the logistics of life will line up in August when you, when you arrive. So I was excited. I was excited when I got his welcome letter and I was excited when I received that, you know, uh, entrance letter, so to speak, I felt like I arrived, you know, so that was, Really, you know, my decision logic and the events that led to my decision. Now, um, uh, certainly, like you said, you've already mentioned, you know, Glenn Siegel, outstanding pitcher for us uh, during that stretch of time. I mean, you played on some SUNYAC championship teams and some ECAC championship teams. And yeah. we really had it going during that mid-70s time with some of those players. Um, can you just talk about that experience uh, on those teams and and being with those guys and, and the lifelong friendships that you built? Sure, Jeff. Sure. You know what? 
they were, they, I, I often say they were the four greatest years of my life. Uh, you know, I, I have played sports since I was you know, a young child, uh, football, baseball, especially on many teams. And as I elevated my level, I was able to build bonds and, and relationships and learn a lot along the way on and off the fields. But it, none of that in the past rivaled what I was about to experience in United State. And uh, it was just, you know, it, it was a glorious time. I think you and I have discussed this in the past. Uh, it was, a, you know, the old state brand was and still is a great brand. Uh, on the sports side, you know, we were second to none. We had it going on, I think, in all categories with basketball and cross country and soccer, especially, and, you know, and, and wrestling. But on the baseball side, we were gods. We really had, a, you know, a great team. Uh, coach had assembled the great, uh, you know, team at the point I, at the point of my arrival, but he had already built a, a legacy. Uh, through his um, years there before I had arrived. I think maybe he came on the scene in 1965. I stand corrected, but maybe 65. Yeah. So I come in 73, he was there eight years, and he was already, you know, a rock star up there, built a great legacy, a great program. And uh, <clears throat> I just was so happy to be able to be part of it. And uh, a lot of his beliefs and philosophies and thoughts of the, the approach to the game was were things I had always believed in. So I was, you know, kind of fortunate to kind of just align myself with someone who shared my beliefs. But to your point about the players, <clears throat> so I was a catcher. Uh, my freshman year, when Louis Condon was still catching, I was fortunate enough to uh, play uh, right field, and I DH'd. So I had a lot of playing time, which was great. And uh, we won the ECAC championship that year, which was uh, really unbelievable. And, uh, you know, my freshman year, we had some great seniors like Louis Condon. We had Mickey Coronaccio in center field, who was – was really a dynamite guy and ball player. We had Johnny McBride in left field, who was a, a great friend of mine and a mentor. Called him Johnny Mack. He was fearless. He was great. So they were all big cogs in the machine, you know. And then, you know, the younger players on the team that I arrived, that you know, when I arrived in 73, my freshman year, they were all softs and juniors, who I went on to share many years with. And uh, those guys uh, were just tremendous. You know, the pitching staff, as you mentioned, Glenn Siegel, my friend, was a great, really, really good left-handed pitcher. Uh, and uh, he had great stuff, a great fastball, great curveball. He might have had the best move to first base in the history of moves. He was known for it. Uh, and I include all major leaguers. He was just, it was lights out. You know, he made my life easy with men on base. You know, shame on me if anyone ever stole. Yeah. Because no one ever got a jump. He was great. Uh, Roger Weaver, of course, was a great, great right-handed pitcher. Uh, he was a sophomore when I was a freshman, as Glenn was. And Roger um, had a great career. He had a great fastball, a great slider. You know, his slider broke from here to here. It was unfathomable. He was big and he was strong. He was also a tremendous hitter, great right fielder. And as we all know, he went on uh, to become signed by the Detroit Tigers in 1976. He had a pretty good professional career for some years. He was a great ball player, a great guy. Uh, Mike Planish, another great pitcher, yeah. right-handed pitcher. He had some really good years up there, and then he hurt his arm. So you had Glenn Siegel, you had Roger Weaver, you had Mike Planish. You had Tommy Bean, who uh, was a dear friend of mine, still is. Uh, he was a freshman, as I was. He arrived in the scene when I did. Big, strong right-hander. You know, a guy like Tommy would shine on any other team as, you know, uh, the first starter in the rotation. He shined on our team, but unfortunately, you know, he had other guys there as well with him. They all had to share the glory because they were all great. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we had um, uh, Frank Surdy at second base, was a hell of a second baseman, 
Kevin Johnson, you know, my main man at first base, he could uh, kick the hell out of the world. Kevin, you know, was a great hitter, a great fielder. He was all conference. Yeah. Um, I think he went on uh, to stay up in the Oneonta area in the world of academia. And he uh, became a supervisor of sorts, you know, among the schools up there. Kevin's a great guy. He's a great leader. Uh, Mark Burlingame at, sh- at shortstop. Yeah. He was a really good shortstop. Uh, Tommy McGraw at third base. Uh, he can wake up in the middle of the night and hit a line drive base. He was a great hitter. He was cool, man. We had, uh, you know, the outfield, uh, Bobby Degnan, who was, uh, he came on later on. He came in on my junior year. a great friend of mine to this day. He was a great right fielder. Denny Colin, center field, backup catcher as well. Hell of a center fielder. Bart Zednitsky from Queens, really good center fielder as well. Uh, Tommy Lagruda, I failed to mention, uh, yeah. was a sophomore when I came up as a freshman, really good left fielder. Uh, Tommy had passed away some years ago. He was a really good guy and a good ball player. And, uh, you know, I mean, those guys really helped, you know, sustain excellence all the time. The great thing about it is we had continuity. You know, all those gentlemen that I mentioned, most of them sophomores and I was a freshman, stayed with the team right through. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had a great program. The coach was really adept at continually recruiting excellent people who he knew uh, not only had skill set in the game, but they, they would fit the locker room and they would fit, you know, the old state way of life, which was, you know, a unique approach to the game on and off the field. So, um, you know, just a, a bunch of great guys. Uh, later on in, in years, you know, we had guys like Frankie Galco was a really good pitcher. We had Joey Hughes, um, who uh, was a local product from Oneonta High School, came on to play with us. He was really good. Donnie Flint was really good. Uh, you know, just a, a lot of really good ball players. You know, we, we were fortunate during my four years there, during my early years, my middle years, my senior year, we just were able to sustain excellence, you know, because of, uh, you know, coach did a fabulous job in, in everything that he did. Right. And it just, you know, it helped set us up for success. And we were all really good ball players, right. you know, and we, uh, we had the rule of the world from 73 and seven to 77. They were glorious years, yeah. you know, we won two ECACs, yeah. uh, two Sunyaks, yep. maybe uh, lost a Sunyak by a game one year. It was silly. And, um, you know, we were really, we were uh, dominant and we uh, played a difficult schedule. You know, we um, played, of course, a lot of Division Three Suniac teams. Yeah. We had a Southern trip, played Division One teams down in Virginia. Yeah. We played Virginia Tech, University of Virginia, Hampton, Sydney, VMI, yeah. you know, and we kicked the hell out of everybody. You know, it was great. <laughs> we love beating Division One teams. A lot of Division One teams wouldn't want to play us. Yeah. You know, because uh, they had everything to lose and nothing to win. That's right. And um, then we come up north, you know, and we'd be ready to go. Yeah. You know, and uh, we, we had your know, coach uh, really was able to coordinate and assemble a great schedule of, um, you know, opposing teams all the time. Right. And we ended up with a lot of great rivalries in and out of the conference. Ithaca College, you know, yep. Ithaca. Uh, Utica College, you yeah. know, Cortland State, of course, is one of our rivalries. Yeah. Uh, we, we hated each other for four straight years. <laughs> you know, it was great. And uh, to this day, I'm sure if any of those gentlemen ever saw me on the street, they wouldn't be happy to see me. Yeah. So, uh but it was, you know, it was a great time. Yeah. We had just, you know, and, and these guys were not only great ball players, but we became great friends, to your point, you know. To this day, I'm close with, you know, so many of them. We stay in contact. We stay in touch. And um, spent a lot of time together, you know, on and off the field during those years. But it was a great time. The 70s were a great time. Yeah. And O State was, a, you know, I, I just always felt just a great brand then and now. And, you know, Coach Jack still had so much to do with that. And so did the other coaches. Coach Flewelling with basketball and Coach yeah. Stan with soccer, you know, Coach Soser, you know, on the wrestling side, they just were, 
you know, they were all young, energetic, ambitious, really skilled coaches who took no prisoners. And they were able to attract a lot of athletes who thought the same way. And they taught us the same way, you know. I think most of us who arrived had already that already had that seed planted within them, you know. Right. And they just didn't need to have it continually tapped into, you know. Right. So it was a great time, man. It was great. Yeah. So, um, you know, just a side note. Uh, recently, I've acquired the scorebooks from Don, Coach Axtell's time here. Oh, uh, wow. You know, John finally dropped them off and wow. and brought them to me. So actually, recently, I've been looking at the years from 73 to 77. Yeah. And it was like in one year, like 1976, maybe. Yeah. Like Polanish got hurt and you guys pretty much it was Weaver and Siegel the rest of the way. That was I it. don't know how you did it with two pitchers, but you yeah, guys ended up winning these, like, you know, playing for the ECAC title. And I'm like, yep. they just had two pitchers, you know? Yeah, we took care, we took care of business. Yeah, yeah, so to your point, as far as, you know, just had great players and, and, and you know, guys who would do what it needed to take to win, right? Yep. Um, it's such a great point. You make such a great point. You just put a chill up my spine. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, those uh, someday when we get together, you know, again, I, I have to look at those scorebooks and I'll really get a chill. But, you know, you really captured a big part of my four years up there. That that 76 year was really um, a gratifying year to your point, because Mike Planish, who as a sophomore was like the second coming of Jesus. on yeah. the mound. He did no wrong. Uh, his ERA was, you know, under one, you know, uh, shutouts, almost every other star. He, he yeah. just owned it. Then he hurt his arm. Yeah. You know, and, he, and Mike was, a, you know, a great warrior, great athlete. And he toughed his way through it, but it was difficult. And as you said, Roger Weaver and Glenn Siegel, man, <laughs> they were just tireless. They were, you know, they were well-conditioned athletes. They were, you know, they were fearless. They had tenacity and perseverance and eye of the tiger. You know, they were two crazy guys. And I love catching them. We just, we got it done. You know, I think Tommy Beef slid in there a little bit yeah. too. Tommy yeah. being, and um, picked up the slack. And it was just, uh, that was a great year. And we showed everybody what we were made of when Mike went down, you know, yeah. when Mike Planish went down. Right. That's um, a great point. Yeah. You know? So so along that line, um, what are some of the lessons that you, you know, kind of learned during your time that carried on to your professional life? And maybe talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where you've spent your professional life, uh, certainly in the, uh, you know, um, franchise business with McDonald's. And then now you're, you're doing some consulting. Yeah. So how did Oneana prepare you for that? Well, uh, you know, to your point, Jeff, it, uh, you know, my answer may sound a little uh, like hokey, but it's true, you know, so these buzzwords of, of perseverance, you know, and persistence and work ethic, you know, and, um, uh, you know, playing well with others yeah. and the ability to understand the moment, all those things really have application, you know, from the playing field to life in any endeavor that you may end up with. And I was able to learn all of those things as an athlete, you know, through coaches' teachings. And, um, you know, in addition to that, you know, as a student as well, you know, the campus just had a great vibe. It was, um, I think the campus was very entrepreneurial, you know, although it wasn't really a business school uh, per se. I think at the end of the day, um, it just really was, it was able to just stimulate the best out of everyone. You know, it had a great fun vibe. I think uh, in the land of academia there, you had a lot of, you know, wonderful um, instructors and teachers who really knew how to coach, you know, in a different sense of the word. And then, of course, on the playing field, you know, the words I used before all, you know, came from the playing field. And I was able to just um, translate that, you know, into how I viewed life. So, um, you know, 
I've always felt as an athlete, you have to be tireless, you know, and uh, your work ethic has to be endless. And you really got to be persistent. You got to persevere. And uh, you got to do the best you can to uh, manage situations. Always remember tomorrow's an- another day. So be careful of the consequences of your actions today. Yeah. Tomorrow, I got to wake up with those consequences. Yeah. So you got to be cool sometimes, you know. <laughs> and that's coming from a person who had a difficult time with that sometimes. But you got to just learn how to... Um, how to really find a way to get it done and be a problem solver. And, you know, all those things, you know, come, I think, you know, from the field of sport, you know, and then you just apply it to whatever it is you do. So in my particular case, uh, when I graduated school, I first got into the uh, the beer business and I was a district manager with the Miller Brewing Company for two or three years. And then I went over to work for the importers of Beck's Beer. I was a regional vice president with them uh, for six years uh, and then I owned a beer business uh, for a, a three-year period, wholesale ship. And then uh, I had always wanted to um, uh, get into the franchise business. You know, while I was working during my first, you know, 10 to 12 years out of school, my, my real plan, even when I owned another business, was to get into the franchise business. And I always thought the, that the McDonald's brand, you know, was um, the elite brand of the franchising world. And I felt that with the things I could hopefully bring to the table, you know, in the, in the arena of work ethic and maybe entrepreneurial spirit and the things we mentioned before, I can help, um, you know, supplement what it is they bring to the table and together we can join forces and make a great marriage. So I was fortunate. I sent in my application to McDonald's. Um, they get, I don't know how many applications a week I was told at the time, 20,000, 30,000. I was fortunate. That I was screened, went through four interviews, you know, uh, it was, uh, almost like a colonoscopy, you know, <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, it was a diagnostic, you know, and, uh, it, but it's a good thing, you know, I, it's not for everybody, but I enjoyed it. So after I met, you know, all the specs in the four interviews, I was allowed to come to the training program, you know, which sometimes takes two years. I was fortunate enough to get it done in like nine months. And then um, I was offered my first restaurant uh, in Brooklyn, New York in 1990. And I was fortunate enough to go on to grow to nine restaurants. I had nine stores in almost 19 years, uh, all in Brooklyn. Wow. And I decided to sell them uh, back in 2008. And, and then uh, since then I've been doing a lot of consulting, you know, in the beverage business, cause I spent almost 12 years in the beer business and a lot of quick service restaurant consulting as well, you yeah. know? And uh, you know, I, I just, um, you know, I enjoy the heck out of it, but you know, I, I can't stress enough the importance of what I learned, you know, as an athlete, you know, and, in, and, and in, on campus as well, you know, these components, these personality uh, components that is so vital, you know, to life success. And again, it's, you know, it's work, ethic, it's work ethic. It's, it's being tireless in what you're pursuing, you know, it's persevering, it's persistence, it's, it's people skills, you know, it's, it's problem solving and adaptability. And, uh, you know, I always used to tell the people who worked with me in my McDonald's years, and I was constantly called, co- you know, it's coaching. You know, I had 1,100 employees in nine stores and uh, it was a lot, you know, so, you know, it was almost like I, I had like 90 employees per store, but then, you know, we, we go through people and so forth. And sometimes we bring other people on. So it was like 1,100 W2s at the end of the year. But at one time we had about 700 employees, wow. you know, in one particular moment when the nine stores were functioning, we would have, you know, eight, 900 employees, whatever it might've been, 750, 900. And then later on, you'd have more and you'd, transition some in and out. And that's why, you know, I come with the number 1100, but you know, you, you touch a lot of people and you coach a lot of people and you, you try to explain to the young men and women that, you know, um, 
life's a marathon and not a sprint. And there's a great opportunity for everybody and everyone to go out and, uh, you know, kiss that breast ring and go get it, whatever it might be in your life, you know? And uh, ambition is the greatest drug of all and the power of positive thinking. And that's what I continually told them. And what I, what I learned is, you know, if you um, arrive at work before the person next to you, and while you're there, you work harder than the person next to you, and you leave after the person next to you, you're going to be in pretty good shape, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and the other thing that I used to pride myself on was just, just do the things that no one else will do. You know, I think when you're an athlete, you got to think that way in life. You should think that way, but be willing, you know, to, I mean, it, it sounds a little, you know, it might sound corny, but it's true. You have to be really willing to pay the extreme price if you want the extreme piece of gratification. And uh, if you're willing to do the things tirelessly, no one else will usually you'll get to where you want to be, you know, yeah. it helps create pathway. Right. But I learned that, you know, I, I, I learned it at all state and I applied it to as much of my subsequent life to this day as I could. Now, and uh, it works quite a bit of the time, not always. And if it doesn't, you got to keep knocking on the door yeah. <laughs> you know, until you get it done. Um, I mean, that's just amazing. And I know that really the foundation of a lot of that uh, with the baseball program, obviously, is Coach Don Axtell, uh, who we lost, you know, about 18 months ago. And, and just through, you know, the service that they had for him and the players that came back and and just the way people talk about him, uh, can you maybe allude to some of that and, you know, talk about him as a person and, and really, you know, the lessons that he really passed on to be a, be a man, not a baseball player, because we, I think that was his message. Like, we're going to be good, we're going to play ball, but afterwards you're going to have to be a provider or, you know what I'm saying, you're going to have to actually live a life. Right. So could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, Jeff. Uh, such a great point. Um, you know, Coach Axel was just uh, the most unique person, you know, I've ever encountered in my life. Now at the age of 64, I probably think he will be the most, you know, most unique person and the most important person I've ever encountered. I was blessed and fortunate to um, be able to play baseball for him and to get to know him and to have a great relationship with him over time, you know, until he had passed. Uh you know, I, I think powerful leaders such as coach are sometimes complex people from a distance. So people who have never had the chance to get to know him, whether it would be, uh, you know, as a friend, a family member or, or playing ball for him, uh, they, you know, um, people formulate opinions from a distance. And if they hear that someone is a great leader or a tough leader or regimented, you know, the takeaway sometimes isn't... Um, as wonderful as it should be. So I'm here to tell you, you know, we talked quite a bit about yeah. this, that he was as well-rounded a human being as, as God ever put on earth. So he was, you know, he was on the coaching side, Jeff, he was a, a phenomenal baseball coach. So he was very disciplined and, you know, he uh, mandated that and we were as well. He was very structured. He was very organized. Uh, he had a uh, tremendous baseball IQ. So, and I said this like once before, one of our past conversations, when someone has the aura of um, power and strength as, as a leader and a coach and hustle and discipline and persistence, you start to find a way to lose the other assets they have. And the skill usually gets lost in those other buzzwords. But besides him being, you know, a guy who hustled and a guy who was disciplined and a guy who showed up early and left late, 
he was really good at what he did. You know, he really knew how to coach. His sustained excellence didn't happen by accident. I, you know, I've always felt that anyone in life who has sustained excellence, instead of people sitting back and trying to find a reason, you know, because sometimes people are envious and jealous of yeah, someone, yeah. and they'll find a reason why they didn't, you know, part their hair correctly or, or get silly about something small. I've always tried to tell people, always watch someone's body of work in life, whatever that might be. And they were sustained in excellence. There's a reason for it, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a reason. And with coach, you know, his legacy as a coach and as a man didn't happen by action. He paid the price. He paid attention to detail. You know, he worked hard, stayed up late to prepare for the next day. Uh, uh, you know, I said he had a great baseball IQ. He really understood the fundamentals of baseball and how the game should be played. And he taught us that well. He understood uh, the importance of great pitching. He was an advocate of that. He was an advocate of, um, you, you know, as a hitter at the plate, the approach to the plate was to be aggressive, not to swing at bad pitches, uh, to get the bat head out, extend the arms, and drive it right through the ball. Today, the game is taught so differently at the plate with launch angle and so forth. But he was really a great teacher at the plate, on the mound, and in the field. And our practices and our practice times were legendary <laughs> because when we didn't play, we practiced. So, you know, in September, we get up there in August, maybe late August, and we'd have maybe a 20-game fall season, maybe more, 22 games. But uh, And the season would end October 12th-ish, like right around now, Columbus Day. And then two weeks later in November, we were, at, we were practicing outside. And if the snow and the rain got too intense, you know, then we came inside in the gym. You know, and then uh, the winter would come and then we came back to school. And then in January, uh, he was rigid and relentless in his approach to the importance of hitting the ground running in January. So he systematically had practice schedules and sessions set up for all position players in the gym, out in the parking lot, if we could, in January, under the physical science building uh, with a batting cage. Another building um, uh, had a, a simulated pitching mound, you know, and a rubber Uh the infielders, you know, would take ground balls in the gym. So all position players were serviced in January and February with a lot of practice time. And we had endless hitting. You know, we had this great machine, with the, you know, the tire machine. And yeah. uh, it, it was endless. It was great. My hands would be dripping with blood. I was the happiest guy in the world. It was great. And, uh, you know, so he, you know, he, you know, he was really good at what he did as a baseball coach. And, um the thing about coaches, I, I thought sometimes he was misunderstood because, again, you know, when you're aggressive, you're a great leader and you have the sustained excellence, people from afar, you know, have this perspective that you probably walk through life a certain way. But he wasn't brusque. He wasn't brazen. He never cursed. He was not a yeller. He was not a screamer. His silence was deafening. Uh, his look uh, was, you know, um, it would situate you, you know, if he needed to send a message and he would just look over at you, it would situate, situate you and uh, make you take notice and understand what he said. He left so many things uh, need, did not need to be said from him because you understood in the power of the moment what it was that had to be done, right. you know, and uh, you know, he, I, I'm describing him as a perfect person, you know, no, none of us are perfect, but he's close to it, you know, <laughs> and he, um, and I, you know, I, I always thought one of the things that described coach so well, you know, was that as a teacher, so he taught phys ed classes, as you know, Jeff, his classes were some of the most popular classes 
you know, on campus. And it wasn't always because of the subject. You know, he had a 6 a.m. golf class, right? And there weren't many people that I knew that wanted to get up 6 a.m. to go to golf class. The line formed to the left, you know, <laughs> and uh, respectfully submitted uh, the female population on campus adored him because he had this sweet spirit, almost like a priest. Yeah. You know, he was just a congenial, he, he, he was, you know, he was a gentleman, you know, he was a good right. guy with a great heart and soul. And he, uh, you know, as a great coach, he was, he was a great teacher. I watched him. I took two of his classes, but I used to watch him sometimes in the other classes. And I, I knew people that, you know, signed up for his class and they would come to me and they would say, Oh my God, Ricky's such a great guy. I said, of course he is, man. Yeah. You know, but people wouldn't know because he's this big, tough, fearless leader and all, you know, all those things that surround that kind of profile as a person, but his classes were popular. You couldn't get in if you didn't sign up on the first day, you know, back then when we signed yeah. up for classes yeah. and uh, he was just, a, you know, he was a door. Now, like all, you know, complex people and great people, you know, there were some people that may not have, you know, enjoyed his approach to the game of baseball or to life. And, you know, we're all not for everyone, you know, and he didn't try and win a popularity contest by any means. Right. And um, his style of coaching and leadership, certainly uh, during the early 70s and mid 70s, could have, you know, uh, not been embraced by the masses, right. you know, and it could have been a deterrent to some people who wanted to come play baseball. But the beauty of it was that. Um, you know, no matter what his rules were, and they were rigid, you know, and I think we discussed this before uh, in terms of appearance, uh, no hair on the ears, no facial hair at all, and uh, the rigidness of, of, of how you approach the game on and off the field. And during the 70s, it was, you know, wild in the streets back then. Yeah, yeah. We were evolving, you know, as a young society and uh, in appearance in every other which way. And uh, that didn't deter him, you know, from what he expected out of people. So I think the power of his leadership and his ability to excel <clears throat> still gave him the ability to expect that out of individuals during a time in our society uh, when it was difficult to get young men to want to cut their hair and shave their mustache, you know, and behave. Yeah. So I think it speaks volumes about him and about the legacy and the brand that he built up there. Well, and I think that's really what we see today, you know, like you say, with, you know, the people who still come back and who came back for his you know, his services and stuff like that. I mean, those are the stories that we get. And, and even today, you know, his legacy is still part of our baseball program. And we appreciate all the support that we get from yourself and the alumni and the players and, you know, how they talk about the program. And I really think that, you know, we're in a good spot because of Don. So, I mean, I want to, you know, thank you for, for sharing that with us today. And certainly I want to take time to say thank you again for I know you're a busy guy <laughs> and I'm glad that you came on today to talk to us and just talk about Oneonta and how great of a place it it was for you so I want to thank you again if thank you Jeff um and now I just, my, you know, pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure thank yeah, you so much and I'm glad you took my call and, and said yes and <laughs> so hey, listen when you call I'll you, I always tease you, you know, when, when you ring the phone, I think most people pick up, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, when I see that, when I see Jeff Hazard come up, I'll always pick up. You're a, you're a great, you're a gentleman, you're a great guy, and, you know, you've become a great friend. And, you know, for what it's worth, I want to thank you and commend you for the fabulous job that you do on a daily basis. No one knows the work and the commitment that you put into what you do. Uh, only yourself and, and the people around you know it. And uh, not only are you excellent at what you do, but you care about what you do. Your passion is second to none, but what you've done in terms of um, embracing coach's legacy and uh, 
the ability to take his recognition to another level with yourself and Tracy, it's phenomenal. And uh, it didn't have to be that way. Uh, you could have gone through the motions. A lot, a lot of programs allow people in charge to go through the motions, but you would have none of that. Right. And no with Tracy. And you're to be commended for that. You, wow. You've done a fabulous job. And we all, I know, deeply appreciate it. The ex-athlete, you know, the athletes who play for coach, I know his family appreciates it. So you're going to heaven, brother. Yeah. Without well, a doubt. Thank you very much. So we want to kind of get you out here on this. We're going to, I'm going to throw five things at you, and I just want you to rattle off the sure. first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, so okay. what's your favorite meal? What's your favorite meal? Uh, you know what? A slice of pizza is still what I enjoy most. <laughs> I'm known for that. I know all the great uh, pizza spots, uh, my God, everywhere. Yep, you right know, there in the New city, England, right? Barbara, New York city. So a slice of pizza. Okay. You know, uh, what's your favorite movie all time? Uh, my favorite movie, probably, and I'm a big movie fanatic, and this movie is, is, an, is an independent, not many people may know uh, of it, but some may. Uh, it was one of Robert De Niro's earliest movies, Mean Streets, in 1973. Okay. My favorite movie of all time. <laughs> um, your favorite genre of music? Uh, I love rock. You know, I love, um, so I love 60s and 70s stuff, okay. without a doubt. You know, I was a big Beatles guy, but, uh, I, I, you know, I loved... Um, the early 60s before the Beatles arrived. I love the Beatles, uh, the British Invasion, you know, yeah. and uh, love, I love Springsteen, you okay. know, and uh, Allman Brothers. Uh, <laughs> and I love, you know, uh, stuff today. You know, uh, I, I have a wide range of um, stuff that I'll get into when my, my kids will look at me like I'm crazy. They won't <laughs> believe it. But uh, probably 60s and 70s, you know, pre-Beatles a little bit, and then Beatles and post-Beatles right into the mid-late okay. 70s. All right. Uh, and uh, what's your favorite, your favorite athlete all time? Uh, has to be Thurman Munson. Thurman Munson, the yes. catcher, the captain. Yes. Good yes. for you. Yes. Uh, and the place you would most like to visit? Uh, let's see, besides heaven at some point. Um, <laughs> let's see, let's see. Probably uh, I would like to get back to Hawaii. Huh. Okay. Been there a few times, but... To me, uh, Maui is uh, Nirvana. Okay. All right. Well, listen, Rick, I want to thank you again for coming on the show and hope we get to see you soon. Thank you so much, Jeff. It was a pleasure. Please feel free to call anytime. And uh, you're a gentleman and a scholar. You do a fabulous job. It was my pleasure to be here today. Thanks a lot. Right. Thank you. And Take we'd care. like to thank Rick once again for being on the show. And we'd like to thank you for joining us again. And we hope that you'll come back and see us soon on the, the Ozone.